Hello, my name is Monica Kretschmer, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Universal Women's Network, Women of Inspiration Awards, and this is the Women of Inspiration podcast, where we speak with women who lead, inspire, and motivate. These are women who ignore the naysayers, and they inspire others to greatness. So today, I have a very special guest. She is the CEO of the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter. Kim Roos, it is a pleasure to have you with us on the show today. You are also one of our 100 Women of Inspiration book contributors. And as we come out of the pandemic, women are going to drive this change. So super excited to have you here today on the show with us. Great. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. So this is a question that I ask all the time. We have a lot of young listeners, um, you know, peer-to-peer role model talks. And I always find it really interesting. This one is for them, really. It's like, so Kim, when you were 12, what did you want to be when you grew up? Do you remember? I think I I do remember. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a child psychologist and go on Oprah. And of course not on Oprah (laughs) and Oprah is still, she's still doing her thing, but, um, similar kind of field, but yeah, that was very much what I wanted to do. Yeah. So Dr. Phil inspired you, did he? Well, you know, Dr. Phil, an interesting fellow, not a huge fan of Dr. Phil, but really thought that the Oprah show was a place where in those days, that's where information spread because it was before you were able to, you know, Google and search and gather things through the internet. And um, and it was through writing books, right? And so I, I have never written a book. I, I likely probably won't, but uh, I still enjoy reading great books and developing, you know, myself and others in that way. And, um, and it was just a, a something that seemed at the time, um, that's, that's how that information traveled through the world, right? So that was, that was important to me. And so I remember when Oprah retired, I was, I was devastated because I didn't make it. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, well, that's fine. I'm doing other things that are similar. So that, that works well. Well, hopefully we can invite Oprah one day and we can actually have her part of, and we can maybe recreate a show of some <laughs> kind and invite her. That would be cool. That would be an honorary interviewee or there you go yeah yes so hopefully we'll get her in and we can talk to her about all that (laughs) anything is possible right yeah everything is possible kim dream big or don't dream at all right yeah right (laughs) so i so i want to know um i guess the next question for you is all of the leaders that I've ever spoken to before, it's never a straight road for leadership. It is always something of a crooked road and you know, the, the lessons, the journeys. So tell us about your career journey. Sure. Um, well, I'm actually, I was born and raised in Regina, Saskatchewan. And so I moved out to Calgary in, um, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s, when there really wasn't much work in Saskatchewan and there was lots of work in Alberta. And I had um, completed a degree in sociology and I thought I was going to take on the world. And then I got offered like a, a filing job or something. So I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't going to work for me. And uh, so I came out to Calgary, went back to school. I've been in school ever since in some way or another. And, um, and sort of really found my stride in the social sciences and in the, you know, human services type work and ended up, um, you know, never left Calgary. So stayed in Calgary and have worked um, in different uh, nonprofit agencies or social profit agencies for the last couple of decades. And um, when I, when I first came to Calgary, 
One of the sort of more influential periods was I was actually homeless for a while and I almost moved home and then I, I pushed through and figured out how to stay. And it was um, so I was living in my car for a period of time until I could sort of work my way back into university and, you know, get back on my feet and then never looked back. And so I've been in different nonprofit agencies for the past while. And most recently, about seven and a half years ago, landing at the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter, which is a lovely organization who does really important work. So, um, so yeah, so my career journey moved through working with children and, um, you know, children of divorce, child abuse, homelessness, um, families, you know, having challenges. Uh, and then I, when I finished my master's, that was all on uh, family violence and abuse. And how do you work um, well with people to end that cycle and to help people heal? And so that seemed like a natural progression to land at this agency. So, yeah. So let's unwrap this a, a little bit more. You mentioned sure. that you were homeless and you lived in your yes. car for a while. Like, yes. <laughs> I thought it would be a bright idea if I tried to sleep in my car once what, because I didn't want to sleep in a tent. Yes. So I thought, ah, I could just pull the seat back down and do it. Yeah, it's it not was easy. the most uncomfortable <laughs> night of my life. Yeah. And I had blankets and I had pillows yeah. and duvets and all sorts of stuff. But how, like, describe that. I mean, those are yeah. defining moments in your life. It was, it wasn't, a, yeah. It wasn't a long period of time. It was only about, I think, about a month and a half, but um, but a very pivotal one because it was winter in Calgary and I had a very old car that used a lot of gas. When you, and so I would periodically turn it on in the night to warm up a little bit. And uh, it was at, I was actually at Mount Royal at the time, so I would use their shower facilities and I you know, got myself a job. But there was a 0% um, vacancy rate in Calgary. So it was a combination of circumstance, situation, and just bad luck. Um, and in those days, you, you couldn't, you know, find a place online. You had to go get the newspaper, go through it, and then drive to a place to get a place. And by the time I got to any place, they were always gone, um, or they were too much money, right? I couldn't afford it. And so um, I ended up just um, sort of limping through that period of time for about six weeks, went back to Saskatchewan for Christmas, got regrounded, and then was able to find a place um, to start again in January. So that was a pivotal moment because I, I could have chosen to stay in Saskatchewan and given up the Calgary dream. Um, but I pushed through, found a place, and then um, uh, you know had to, to work at rebuilding and starting a, a life here, right? So that's um, that's that story. Yeah, it's, it's something that I don't often think about but you know lately when I reflect I, I start to as I'm launching my own children realizing how hard that that first period is when you start out right and it certainly was not a friendly place um, it was uh, you know not knowing very many people moving here out of nothing not having at those times like jobs were really tough um, gas prices were ridiculous no housing like it was a, it was not an easy time to come to this city but it worked out in the end like completely resilient and you know i i think that's you know you were definitely i'm going to say tenacious because you you knew what you wanted to get done and you found a way of doing it and i think that's you know that describes so many women that i've spoken to um and i think it's just really shows your strength it's not a weakness in my mind that's like oh my gosh she's like mm -hmm. strong and powerful and confident you know, and to have to, to go after your dreams with that much passion, um, regardless of the setbacks, I just applaud you. 
thank you. Yeah, I'm still surprised some days that I I didn't go back because <laughs> it would have been so much easier and so much more comfortable, right? But I was I was determined to make it. So yeah, and here I am. And then I ended up working in homelessness for quite a few years too. So it was actually helpful to have had that experience to understand that um, there are different types of homelessness and there are different ways that people end up in homelessness and um, and you need to match your right service to the to the issue, right? Or to the person's personal um, situation. So you, it, it really helped, I think, inform my lens and the way that I work with people and the way that I create services. Like one of my mantras is it has, anything that we operate has to be good enough for your relative, your daughter, your mother, your sister, your brother, um, your friend. And if it's not that, it's not about perfection, but it's about making sure that it is quality. And if it's not good enough, then we need to go back and figure it out and make it that good. Well, I think um, it's interesting that you, I love that mindset, um, number one, because especially when you are in a service where you're caring for women that are going through probably the, the hardest times of their life. And I have to say, I was at that shelter that you now run. I think it was there long before you actually yeah, um, started, yeah. but I do have knowledge and it's that lived experience that totally. is actually such a beautiful gift because you can actually relate to somebody going through that struggle and there's zero judgment whatsoever, yeah. but you can relate yeah. to them. And in some way it's, it's a gift, right? Because you can help serve others with that knowledge. Yeah. 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 Like, I think it's, um, it's so important to be, well, we, we talk about it being feedback informed, right? So we want to hear from whoever is in front of us, whoever we're working with, what is it that they need? Cause they are the experts. They know what they need. And it's, um, you know, it's one of the worst, well, not worst things, but it can be a, um, a tragic thing that if you go into a situation to help someone and you think, you know what they need, right? So instead really being inquisitive and inquire and find out you know, what are their strengths? Because people do come into those situations um, with incredible gifts and incredible strength. And so how do you leverage that to help them? Very cool. So, you know, in your leadership, um, you, you know, took psychology, of course, you had a clear path since you were 12, you achieved that you, you're definitely um, a lifelong learner, which is incredible. Um, there, there might be some, you know, uh, I would say women listening right now and sort of, you know, going through transformation, I think it's really important. I love talking about the transformation and the road to transform, transforming. You've done mm -hmm. it personally. Um, but what, how do you think women, um, what would help serve women the most as they go through their transitions? And you've seen many women go yeah. through transitions. Well, I think one of the most important things I think anyone can do for themselves is, um, is really around self-exploration, self real self-exploration, which means understanding your blind spots, understanding your impact on others, um, and taking that information and really wrestling with it so that you come out on the other side different. And so it, it sounds easy, but it's actually not because it, it really is difficult. So self-inquiry is not straightforward or easy. And so you, and we have lots of um, personal barriers that we put up and blocks and blind spots that keep us from actually getting to some of the more difficult or painful things. But I think if you really want to transform, that's what it takes is you have to wrestle in the dark with those, um, those blind spots and those things that maybe are not um, so easy to work through and find your way through that. And I think for leaders, and I know for my team, 
Um, I have an amazing team around me. They're all incredible leaders and it requires a vulnerability, right? So if, if people can find that strength and you, you know, Brene Brown writes about it all the time, like there's that finding that, um, uh, that courage to embrace that, wrestle with it and work through it together is really critical. And especially for leaders, um, because you do, uh, you impact so many people. Like you can do great with that, or you can ruin people's careers or lives or hurt them unintentionally. And so I think that when you're in leadership roles, and I think leadership roles are in all levels of organizations, you um, that you have an obligation, I think, to be involved in that wrestling for yourself because that that impact you have on others is so critical. And what do you think some of these leadership traits are that you really admire? Um, you know, I really respect when people are humble, you know, they share, um, they share successes, vulnerability, looking at their own challenges, um, not having to have the right answer all the time. Kindness. Kindness is something that at our team we talk about that it's, um, it's, it's really difficult work that they do every single day. And um, kindness goes a long way, right? And, and graciousness and understanding that people are doing the best that they can with what they have and starting from there, right? So I think those are things that um, really stand out. And I think that open learning mindset is critical. If you're going to, um, you know, whether you're looking for transformation or leadership or anything like that, that really, that ability to constantly be learning and reflecting and growing is really important. It's not like you finish a degree or finish a course and go, okay, I'm done, right? It's life is is always sending you lessons and messages and things. And so being open to um, inviting those in and working with them. So, you know, one thing that I love is about, you know, recognizing, we talk about celebrating the successes of, you know, our own accomplishments. Um, and then I, I do believe that celebrating others' accomplishments is really important. So how how important is that for you and your team to, you know, lift others up and celebrate their successes yeah. along with yours yeah. as a leader of the organization? Yeah, I find it hard. I, I don't celebrate myself. I, you and I have talked about this. Just, I find that really difficult because I am so very um, blessed, grateful to be able to go to work every day with the most amazing people and the most amazing team. And... Um, and I think one of my challenges is, I don't know, have you ever watched The West Wing? It's a bit of an older show, but the president in the series, whenever they finish a big accomplishment, he always goes, what's next? And that tends to be me. I often don't stop and celebrate, but um, I still think it's important. I think you need to slow down and do that. I think um, our team uh, really handled the pandemic well. Like, you know, for many agencies, for many people, COVID-19 was a really um, significant challenge. And um, our team, basically, they they dug in and they, they really um, looked at their own leadership style and how they were showing up through the crisis, how they could support each other well. And so we've, we've had some moments of celebration where um, the team worked so well through that. Like, and we were able, we never shut the doors. Like we were open for the entire pandemic. We were aggressively outreaching because we knew that our issue area was changing daily. It was becoming more pressing, but also the ability to access us was harder. And so our team was very creative, stepped outside the box and uh, we probably don't celebrate enough and we probably haven't caught our breath yet, but we will have a big celebration soon, <laughs> I'm sure. But we do try and find ways in our daily interactions to acknowledge and recognize, you know, the good that people have done. Yeah. 
Well, I love to hear that um, you were able to not turn anybody away because it's very important to have that access. And so I guess my question is, you know, during COVID, um, you know, we talk about the effects on women and you probably have seen it firsthand. So what really, I mean, forget about those stats right now, Kim, like firsthand, what was that like during COVID? Yeah, I think for for the community, it was it was incredibly challenging because I, you know, but prior to COVID, people had the escape of work or travel. Um, childcare was still in place, right? For those first few months, that was a huge burden on families and on women in particular because the those natural breaks weren't occurring anymore. So family dynamics were different. People were working from home or losing their jobs. So you had different financial stresses. Um, I think as well, the um, like typically pre-COVID, our calls come in at times when women are at work and can get a break, right? Because they're away from the home and they can make those phone calls. And uh, during COVID, there was no privacy and no ability to go and make those phone calls. So um, I think that it was a very frightening time for people. They were afraid of if they really did need a shelter, would they be safe from the, the virus? You know, what would it be like to come in during COVID? And, and then that was layered with how do they actually get a moment to reach out for help? And so I think there were some pretty scary moments. The first six weeks of the pandemic, our helpline was very quiet. And I think other helplines were quiet as well as the world sort of came to grips with what was happening and families were settling into, okay, what is this going to be now? Um, so I think it was pretty frightening for people. We hit a new um, sort of normal pretty quickly after that. And as you mentioned, like we used hotels and other ways to make sure that we weren't turning people away, that we were um, ensuring people had safety and distance and um, social distancing so that they could come in safely. But it was, I think, a, a more tenuous time over this year for women. And so over the past 17 months, has that, you said it's now a, uh, you say you're into a rhythm now a new rhythm yes but has yeah. it increased or decreased because the numbers that they show um, yeah. that it just went skyrocketed yeah you know i think um i'd have to go back and look there there's certain periods of time where it certainly skyrocketed other times when it was very slow but i would say one of the uh, most disturbing trends we saw was that the level of complexity and the level of danger that people are facing is exponentially higher than it was pre-pandemic and so that tells me so there's more weapons you know fear of weapons the level of threat is higher um the course of control like the the manipulation the you know the emotional abuse is all um it's just amped up right so when people call us or come in we sort of assess or rate their level of danger risk of lethality and it is significantly higher during the pandemic and now and so that's concerning i think families are under considerable pressure not that that's an excuse because it isn't um, but there are changing dynamics and changing context for people that are adding extra pressures and um you know just making things more tenuous and dangerous so there's going to be women that are going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to be mm-hmm. going, they're going to be, you know, what, what, how do I reach? What out do I do? What yeah. do I do? And I, I know that I see the, the posts at the um, grocery stores. So during the pandemic, yep. I saw it at yes. the stores and I thought yes. that was absolutely yep. brilliant. One person yep. could go in there yep, and get right. groceries from the family and she could make that call. That's right. Yeah. 
so yeah, so we were trying to be creative and the whole community, so it wasn't just our agency, but our um, the Calgary Domestic Violence Collective, which I'm the co-chair of, the whole um, collective was trying to be really assertively outreaching in the community. Um, I think, you know, now the helplines are all um, equipped with, you know, texting, chat, all of the different ways that you can connect. Um, if you are experiencing um, family violence and abuse, it, like if it's urgent, please call 911, of course, but if it's um, something that you want help with that isn't urgent in this moment, call one of the helplines and there are trained staff there that will help people, you know, figure out what their next step is. And it doesn't mean that you have to come into shelter. There's lots of different ways that you can be helped or that there's lots of services out there. And so I just encourage people to make the call. So I have to ask you this one, you're under, you're in an industry that's definitely high stress, high yes. emotions. <laughs> so how do you keep grounded you know having so many because it's the stories of every woman mm -hmm. is it's so heart-wrenching and you know like you 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 get to know the individuals so how do you sort of what do you do for self-care um to sort of keep you grounded well i don't think i did really well on self-care for the last year i you know i've sort of have like the zoom uh, posture now that it's like all of my muscles are like just seized um so I, I need to get back outdoors but I one of the things that I think um got us through and um you know I, I again I rely on every day is just great colleagues right with and laughter we have a great team that we laugh together um we find we see the hope and that that does a lot to um to get you through like when there's there's tough things and you look around and you see the people that you're you're spending your working hours with um you know diving in and stepping up and laughing and sharing and and working you know in really tough situations but working for the good of others it really does help you keep going um but i also need to pair that i need to get outside more so i've started actually going back to like walking right and of course i got a covid puppy so i've got a you know <laughs> i've got a dog who i'm surprised hasn't like shot in here yet but um yeah so we did get a covid puppy through the year which i am very grateful for i you know he's he's been an amazing um stress reliever for sure and now i think this is something new at the shelter too that um you now accept pets we do yes we have pet friendly rooms and uh, I think we're the first, uh, we were the first in Calgary for sure. I'm not sure if we were first in Alberta or not, but um, there is such a close link between animal abuse and um, threats to animals and women choosing to stay in an unsafe situation. And so um, it just made sense. The research was all there. Um, often when women try to leave, if they have pets and there's no place for them to go, the abusive uh, partner will often threaten that pet. And there, like research shows that there's lots of injury and harm that does come to animals that are left behind. And so we wanted to make sure that we were removing as many barriers as possible. And so, yes, we do accept all of the furry critters. Um, we don't take the spiders and the <laughs> some of the lizards, but we do take all the furry creatures with us, yeah. I think I was at the pet store actually um, just before Christmas and there was a raffle. So then all of a sudden it just sparked kind of why there would be a really great um, partnership between the pet store and the women's yep. shelter, right? Is because yeah. they need pet supplies. So I thought that was absolutely That's brilliant right. from a perspective for yeah. partnerships. Totally. Yeah. 
yeah, we also partner with the Humane Society and they've been amazing as well. So they screen all the animals. So it's not like it's a zoo where like there's like animals running everywhere, um, but it's at least a safe place where we try do our best to reduce the anxiety for people's pets and make sure that they have them with them, which reduces anxiety for people too. So it's been a, a bit of a win-win. So what, you know, what are some of your goals um, for the shelter? Uh, yeah, um, well, our team um, continues to uh, develop ourselves as leaders and how we work well together. That's a really big focus for us. We launched um, a shelter beds app last year that helps the emergency shelters in and around Calgary coordinate better. And so we're, we're scaling that across the province. And we are in the fall launching a really cool um, initiative called Men Ant. And it's a digital hub to help men um, who are uh, struggling and experiencing difficulties um, get great information to um, lead healthier lives and be in relationship in a healthier way. We had done some research over the past five years and what we found is that men reach out for help differently. And so our organization has been working with men since the early 90s. And um, we, we run a very successful program, which is a long waiting list right now for men who are looking to change their behavior in their relationships. We also run a Caring Dads program. And so we wanted to take a look at how we were, were we really engaging men and for real change, because you can keep building shelters and they will keep filling. But until you actually start working with where some of the problems are, where people are struggling, it's not going to change. And so um, we learned that men access help digitally first. And so we will be, and there's actually very little, it's changing a little bit now, but there's not a lot of great healthy information for people out there to help them make great choices in relationships. And so we're launching a website um, that's called Men Am, and it's launching in conjunction with a men's helpline. And so that'll be coming this fall. So that's one of our big goals. That's been a, a project that's been in the works for about five years. Um, we also just launched a children's book. And so I think that we will scale that and maybe do some other sort of iterations of that in the next two years. And I think those are the main goals we have for the shelter. Um, we are more inclusive in our um, uh, in the shelter. So we do, it's not just women that come into our shelter. And so we're gender inclusive and we're continuing that work to expand that. And then I think the other big thing, which I hope most agencies in, well, in Canada are working on is truth and reconciliation. So doing a lot of work around that um, now and into the, into the fall. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate, my goodness. And I, I love the new <laughs> programs, um, you know, that you are spearheading and you're bringing and knowledge is key, right? And just totally. like, yeah. you know, if you want to make change, how do you make change? It's just like the workforce, um, you know, you see the small numbers uh, for, you know, industries that are underrepresented by women, but how do you encourage more women? You okay. bring men to the conversation and say, you provide value. Um, this is how to support a woman and then you value the contribution that they bring to the table. So I think that's a really um, yeah. timely thing that I think is happening mm -hmm. and um, to just give tools and resources. So brilliant, totally. Kim, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So All my team. <laughs> well, and, and your team, you know, I and we talked about this before. We talked about this in the green room and, you know, so the CEO of a company can only do the job of a CEO if the leaders within your organization are number one empowered and what else would you say how do you empower your leaders within your own organization um you know I well we, we focus on leadership development right so we're always 
developing ourselves, making sure that we're up for the challenge. Um, I don't micromanage. Like we we set the strategy together. We you know we set the big goals, and um, and people go off to do that work, right? And we regroup and we have touch bases. But that's um, uh, that's how how we make things come alive. And and you encourage creativity, right? It has to be a safe workplace where. Uh, mistakes don't mean that you're punished, right? Mistake. In fact, it's not mistakes. It's learning. It's how do you recover and learn and move on to the next challenge in a way that you're better. And so it's. Um, I always say, like, you know, I'm looking for excellence, not perfection. And so I want us to be great at what we do because I think we owe that to the community. We are charged with taking care of people's livelihoods. Their, their lives are literally in our hands when we're working with them, and so we take that very seriously. Um, but that doesn't mean um, perfection, right? It means that we're constantly working to do better. We ground ourselves in research, and so that we're always learning about what um, you know what we can do better, what's different out there, and then how do we implement that? And so there's a constant sort of innovation cycle that you'll see in our organization. And um, but it very much the team has to feel safe. They have to feel empowered to go out and do what they need to do. And um, so, and I often see my job more as resourcing them, right? As finding, making sure that I'm connecting the and leveraging the resources that they need to go and be the creative selves that they are. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's such an incredible team, and they um, they have such a passion for the work, and they're they're very um, very wise in how they put that into action. So I'm very grateful to be where I am. Well, you are leading a great team, but I, I, I would like to chat a little bit about your leadership <laughs> a little bit. Sure. Um, because sure. where do you get your inspiration or do you have uh, like, who, who do you look up to for your leadership inspiration? I think, you know, as a CEO of a, of a team mm -hmm. is leading a team, where do you get your leadership inspiration? I, you know, I've had several mentors over the years. Um, they they've all passed now, unfortunately, but they influenced me very, um, uh, very much through my development. And one of and this might seem like a quirky answer, but uh, one of the places that I draw a lot of inspiration from is actually Lord of the Rings, which like the, you know the Fellowship of the Ring. If you're familiar with the story, right? Um, it's that the small like you know the hobbits are the ones that actually save you know save the day, but it's everyone together, and so. Um, and I, um, I'll geek out on you, but I like I've read that series, I don't know, like 35 times for real. And um, <laughs> since I was 13 years old, but um, I, I think that I do draw a lot of themes from the uh, that idea of the fellowship. Right. And the, um, you know, the, the way that you um, connect and work together and see what people bring that you know, maybe doesn't fit the typical mold that people would say, but what are the gifts that everyone has that can be at the table? And how do you create the context and environment for those gifts to come to life? And so that's what I, that's how I try and lead is um, really try and understand myself and help people understand themselves. And then how do we come together to make an even better um, group, I guess, is how I approach it. So that's, um, and I and I just believe so much that it's so important. Like, and I've got girls, like I've got three daughters who are entering the workforce now. And that environment that you spend so much of your time in is so critical and it can be really great or it can be really terrible. And I wanna be someone that is helping create a team and environment that is really great. It's great at what we do in the services, but it's also really great at letting people live out their gifts in, um, in something, in work that matters. Mm. Well, very interesting. And I, you know, this is the Woman of Inspiration podcast. So I would love to know what your definition of a woman of inspiration is. 
I think someone that um, is bold and lives in alignment with them, their true selves the best they can, right? That they're constantly looking for that and looking to live that out. That's powerful to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, your your world is all about women. Your world is about mm-hmm. putting women and raising women up. Um, what what um is there anything that you want to share with the listeners about you know just about the organization about how to engage and support women in your communities in your workplaces so that yeah they can be the the best they can be or if you see Mm -hmm. that they're struggling how can you support them well it's um one of my messages which i think is a really important one is um so women uh seek help from family and friends first before they ever call an agency like mine. Um, they um, they will talk to you, they, like they will talk to, to their community. And so I think it's one of the most powerful things and important things you can do is listen and believe and help connect. You don't have to have all the answers if someone comes to you um, with a situation that they're dealing with or they're, they're um, unsafe or they're uncomfortable or something's happening. You don't have to be there to fix it. One of the most powerful things you can do is actually just listen and believe. And that simple act of um, that social response that they receive as a positive one will encourage them to seek help. Often people will reach out and they get a negative social response. And then that sort of stops their help seeking behavior for a while until things get bad again. And so just being really aware of how open and receptive you are when people are trying to talk to you about something that might be happening, or if people, if their behavior changes and um, you're worried about them, ask, find find a private place or way to, or confidential way to just ask and be there. That's often what, what people need to start that journey of help seeking. And it's so critical and so important. And, you know, only 30% of the cases reach a a professional service, right? So many of them are underground and in community. And so the community has so much power and ability to make a difference in this issue area, for sure. Well, I always like to draw attention to the ability um, in the situation when there's pivots um, that women are making in life. It can be scary, but I also want to say that from a person that has gone through that, that there's hope, right? Um, it's not going to be an easy road, but it's definitely an empowering moment and that the adversity that the women are going through is, you know, they can't see it at that time, but it's really, um, it defines who you are as a woman and you actually learn to step into your voice, even though it doesn't seem like you have one. Yeah. And we know, we know people do have a voice. Like even when you're in the most difficult and dire circumstances, there are ways that you resist abuse, right? And we could talk more about, I could spend hours talking about that, but there are subtle ways that people don't always realize that they actually are resisting. They are doing something. And you just need to, we need to find ways to amplify the understanding of that and, and help people reach out to get the help that they need. So again, how can people reach out and your, you know, great interview, Kim, um, it's really wonderful to speak with you because you have the lived experience, maybe not per se in the domestic Mm -hmm. violence arena, but certainly as a woman and as somebody that has gone through a transition yourself um, and you can relate to them. And so it's a safe environment. How can they reach out if they need support? Um, 
Well, they can reach out. So we have our website, calgarywomenshelter.com. And you can also reach out to our helpline, which is 403-234-SAFE, which I believe is 7233. I always mix that up, but that's, I believe, yeah. Yeah, that's it. 234-SAFE-7233. And that's, that is, um, that line is operating 24-7. And there's people there that can answer your questions. It doesn't have to be about coming into shelter. It can just be a simple, I just have a question about abuse in this way. And my staff are there to, to answer. Fantastic. Well, Kim, it has been a pleasure to have you on the Woman of Inspiration podcast, and we are really excited to have you part of the journey. And really, because I think that we need to sort of not keep it hidden, we need to actually be able to talk about it. And I love how you're inviting men to the conversation. I think that's a really progressive way, um, solutions based. So thank you so much for um, joining us today. Any last words for our listeners? Um, and for those that are listening and, you know, that writing that number down or hoping to pass along that information to another woman that needs it. Yeah, I think um, the only thing I would add is like, you know, time and life is precious, right? And and there's so much that you can, you can choose to do with that. And if you're, you know, scared or alone or, you know, needing help, please reach out. There's no, there's no shame in that. And it, it really takes a community to heal and move forward. And, um, uh, and yeah, and I just think we're better together. So yeah, I would just end with that is that it, it's not, this is not an issue that is behind the scenes anymore. This is a community wide conversation and there's a different kind of awareness out there now and a different kind of acceptance of, of how do you help and move forward. So please, please, please reach out if you need help. And I love that there is no shame, there is no judgment, um, there is a solution and an option for you. So thank you, Kim, for sharing and being a part of the Women of Inspiration podcast. We look forward to having you on thank the road you. to speak more about it and to be a little bit more visible Great. in it in the communities that Great. we serve. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.